You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 30th day of May 2010. I'd like to very much welcome back all of the listeners to the continuation of this podcast after our brief spring hiatus and thank everyone who sent along their well wishes during this time. I'd like to once again apologize that there's no way that I can respond to everyone individually, but rest assured I do try to read all of the emails that come in and all of your well wishes during this time off has been very much appreciated. I'd like to, of course, remind people, as always, to check into my websites, CorbettReport.com, ClimateGate.tv, ReportageBook.com, and AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com for more information about our books, videos, interviews, articles, and episodes of this podcast, as well as those sites that help to broadcast, podcast, syndicate, and otherwise disperse the media collected by The Corbett Report, including Archive.org, RadioForAll.net, OneSkyRadio.com, ZeroPointRadio.com, MediaMonarchy.com, and TragedyAndHope.com. And on that note, I would highly suggest my listeners check out the latest edition of the Peace Revolution podcast at PeaceRevolution.org, where the latest interview is an extremely interesting one with a Wall Street insider with inside information about the ongoing financial apocalypse. So that comes highly recommended. For those who are wondering, today's intro song was a listener-submitted song, and I won't reveal the name of the person who submitted it because he did not specifically give me authorization to use his name on the podcast, but I'd very much like to thank him for sending that song in, and to remind everyone that uh, you can always contact me via the contact form on CorbettReport.com if you would like to submit your own artwork or music, and I'll attempt to bring attention to it if and when I can. So once again, thank you all for sticking around during the hiatus of this podcast, and I'd like to thank you for for joining me once again. And I'd just like to take the opportunity to clarify something that happened earlier this month when GoDaddy Hosting Services was compromised and a number of websites that were hosted on those services, including the Corbett Report, were successfully hacked now, the hackers were able to inject code onto the websites of uh, the, all of those places that were affected in order to attempt to redirect people towards uh, scareware sites, that is, websites that are meant to look like they're scanning your computers for viruses when, of course, they are actually loading malware onto your computer. I did notice the injection of that malicious code onto the website within 24 hours, and I did have it removed. It has cropped up again as GoDaddy continues to not be able to explain why or how their servers are being compromised. 
So all of this has not only led me to understand and have a greater appreciation for just how fragile computer security and internet security of all forms are, especially as we're being led into the new cyber war paradigm, but also that, yes, the Corbett Report website, although it has served me well these past three years, and by the way, tomorrow does mark the third anniversary of the Corbett Report website, but Having said that, it is time, I think, to retire the current incarnation of the website and to redesign the website. Of course, we will still be available at CorbettReport.com, and all of the episodes, interviews, and articles will be up, but the site will look different, it will be improved, hopefully harder to hack, and will overall, I think, give a much better user interface for people to navigate their way through the various media that we put up. So... Unfortunately, this is taking an incredible amount of time to transfer all the data over from the old site into the new site. So please be patient. The old Corbett Report website will be up and will be maintained during this time. But in the next, hopefully, two or three weeks, we will be launching the new redesigned website. And there will be a YouTube video up on my YouTube account as soon as that becomes available in order to introduce people to the new website. But we have an incredible amount of information to cover today with an extremely important topic. So without further ado, let's get straight into today's Sunday Update. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com with your Sunday update for this 30th day of May 2010. And now for the real news. In our top story this week, intelligence analyst and Washington Times columnist Jeff Stein penned a column last Tuesday confirming that the CIA has made fake videos of Osama bin Laden. The admission comes in a story about U.S. intelligence plans to set up Saddam Hussein by creating fake tapes of an actor portraying Hussein having sex with a young boy. In that story, Stein notes, quote, The agency actually did make a video purporting to show Osama bin Laden and his cronies sitting around a campfire, swigging bottles of liquor and savoring their conquests with boys, one of the f- former CIA officers recalled, chuckling at the memory. The actors were drawn from some of us darker-skinned employees, he said, end quote. The article then goes on to note that the CIA unit in charge of the operation, the Office of Technical Services, gave up on the project and it was then taken up by the military. This information further corroborates what has already been revealed about signs that the Psychological Warfare Division of the Pentagon has been releasing fake Osama bin Laden tapes at regular intervals since 9-11. Some of the more infamous examples of those faked videos include a video of bin Laden that was supposedly released by Al-Qaeda in 2006, despite the fact that the exact footage had aired several months previously in The Road to Guantanamo, the Michael Winterbottom docudrama and a 2004 video purportedly showing bin Laden, which was exactly identical to a video released in 2007. In 2007, computer security consultant Neil Krawitz revealed at a security conference that an analysis of quantization tables in JPEGs extracted from As-Sahab videos showed that the Al-Qaeda watermarks were inserted at the same time as Intel Center, a U.S.-based contractor which sells and distributes footage of terrorist groups. 
Intel Center CEO Ben Vensky was the former director of intelligence at VeriSign company iDefense, where he served with Jim Melnick, a 16-year veteran of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency. Melnick specialized in psychological operations and had previously been assigned to the office of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. Stein's latest revelations merely offer further confirmation of the U.S. intelligence and military involvement in creating fake bin Laden tapes. Both the CIA and the Defense Department have yet to comment on this developing story. In other news this week, CBS is under fire for attempting to depict all those who question the official government position on geoengineering or the safety of fluoridated drinking water as anti-American conspiracy theorists. I got a little intel on Professor Scott. He has a history of espousing various conspiracy theories. Sharing them with his students got him into a little trouble. Every university has at least one unconventional professor. Oh, come on, Peyton. This guy's ideas here are totally anti-American. Look at this. Water fluoridation, tsunami bombs, chemtrails. Numerous scientific studies spanning back to the beginning of the water fluoridation program itself have confirmed that sodium fluoride is detrimental to human health. These studies have concluded that sodium fluoride is an endocrine disruptor and a neurotoxin which alters the thyroid, increases the chances of contracting deadly bone cancer in young boys, lowers IQ, and causes dental fluorosis. In several documented examples, overfluoridation of city water supplies have resulted in death. In 2000, Dr. William Hertzey, the vice president of the EPA's own scientist union, testified before the Senate on the ill effects of water fluoridation. Our union represents the staff, scientists, lawyers, and others who analyze hazard exposure and economic data and advise management how to use them in public health protection. I'm not here today to speak for EPA, but rather the union, founded 17 years ago to protect EPA workers from unethical pressure by EPA managers. It was on that basis in 1985 that we first got involved in this issue. In 1997, we voted to oppose fluoridation, and our opposition has grown stronger as more adverse data on the practice has come in. In the interest of time, let me state our recommendations first. We ask that you order an independent review of the cancer bioassay of sodium fluoride mandated in 1977 by Congress. Evidence for carcinogenicity in that assay was systematically downgraded by a special executive branch commission appointed and run by the very agencies that Congress did not trust to run the uh, bioassay in the first place. That action saved fluoridation temporarily. We ask that you order chronic toxicity studies on the two waste products that are now used in 90% of fluoridation programs. EPA says there are at present no chronic toxicity data on them, and we ask that you order EPA set an MCL for fluoride that's truly protective of all American citizens, infants and adults alike, because the current one does not, in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act. We ask that you order epidemiology studies using dental fluorosis as an index of exposure to determine the extent of other toxic effects, especially effects on the brain and bone in the population that are attributable to fluoride. We ask that you convene a a joint congressional committee to give this issue the full airing that it deserves. It's been 23 years since the last one, and it's high time for a new one. The documented scientific concerns over such issues are being portrayed as signs of mental derangement on primetime television, although that perhaps is not surprising. The current White House communications are Cass Sunstein co-wrote a paper in 2008 for the Harvard Law School in which he advocated the government employ covert agents to infiltrate groups with views that the government opposes and disseminate government propaganda amongst them. Startlingly, He even suggests that the government may one day ban or tax conspiracy theorizing. 
One of the examples he gives of pernicious conspiracy, conspiracy theorizing is the idea that sunlight is good for you. Earlier this year, NBC admitted to a practice called behavior placement, whereby they attempt to influence viewers' actions by portraying characters in their dramas and comedies engaging in desirable behavior. Finally this week, ABC News is in trouble once again for attempting to portray climate change skeptics as deranged white supremacists. I hope someone gets you in a dark alley. The FBI tells ABC News it's looking into a spike in threatening emails to climate scientists like Penn State's Michael Mann. Six feet under with the roots is where you should be. I was hoping I would see the news that you committed suicide. Do it. It's an attempt to chill the discourse, and I think that's what's most disconcerting. A white supremacist website recently posted Mann's picture, alongside several other climate scientists, with the word Jew next to each image. The piece goes on to play a brief response by Mark Moreno of ClimateDepot.com. Senator Inhofe's former spokesman, Mark Moreno, who now runs one of the most aggressive climate skeptic websites in the country, did agree to an interview arguing that skeptics have been getting threats for years. The public is appropriately angry at these scientists. And again, no one's advocating violence, but it is, it is refreshing to see these scientists hear from the public. Just as in the case of ABC News misreporting on 9-11 Truth, however, in this case, too, the behind-the-scenes recording of the entire interview has leaked onto the Internet. Um, now, on ClimateGate, isn't it true that, that several of the subsequent investigations exonerated these guys from cooking the book? Right, you're referring to, like, Lord Oxberg and uh, these other reports. U.N. scientists have, like, laughed. Uh, Richard Toll, a lead author in the U.N., is laughing at the Oxberg report and other scientists. This was essentially a light piece of paper, a couple pages long, didn't interview any of the skeptics, had a very narrow focus uh, on what they were looking at, uh, and these were all warmest. The head of it, Lord Oxberg, had massive conflict of interest that he would never have gotten away with had it been the other way around, and say a skeptic was heading it who had oil-funded interest. This was a complete laughingstock investigation. And the bottom line is we've seen the emails. We've heard the top U.N. scientists now turning on each other. I have a whole report on U.N. scientists turning on the U.N. saying it's run its course, it's time to disband it. Regenda Pachari, the U.N. IPCC chief, should resign. So these little committees that get together that are all politically connected, full of global warmest, aren't going to change the fact that there's a civil war going on within the U.N. over these climate gate emails. And the American people realize what climate gate was all about. You don't need a committee to read the very words of these scientists. Now, stay tuned for episode 131 of The Corbett Report, Bilderberg 2010, where we talk to Daniel Estelin, Charlie Skelton, Neil Foster, and Dave Derby about this year's Bilderberg Conference. Welcome to episode 131 of The Corbett Report podcast, Bilderberg 2010. Now, as my more observant viewers and listeners out there will have noticed by now, this is another podcast episode that is being made available simultaneously as MP3 audio and as a video available on youtube.com slash Corbett Report, Vimeo, and other file-sharing sites. So to all of those who are watching today's episode, once again, I'd urge you to go to CorbettReport.com in order to download the audio MP3 of today's podcast, as well as to find a documentation list with links to all of the documents cited in this 
podcast and indeed in every episode of the Corbett Report. And for all of those vice versa who are listening to this, please go to youtube.com slash Corbett Report or other file sharing sites where Corbett Report videos can be found in order to watch today's episode. Now, as I speak, it is the end of May 2010, and that can only mean one thing. It's that magical time of year where the annual Bilderberg Confab is held, and the elite leaders of our world society are meeting behind closed doors to decide how best to run the world for yet another year. And I realize, if only from looking at the stats of CorbettReport.com, as well as of many other sources of information, that this information is exploding all over the place, and we are getting new listeners and new viewers every single day, let alone every single month. So I know I have many, many more listeners and viewers now than I did even one year ago during Bilderberg 2009. So for all of those who are new to this information and don't know what Bilderberg is or perhaps don't quite understand the significance of this meeting, I would highly suggest that you go back and listen to or even re-listen to some of the previous episodes of this podcast that have dealt with Bilderberg, including episode 44, Club Bilderberg, and episode 85, Bilderberg 2009. And, of course, to other sources of information, such as interviews that we've conducted in the past with veteran Bilderberg researchers and authors like Daniel Eschelin and Jim Tucker and Tony Gosling, and, of course, to many of the articles that I've written on this subject in the past. But don't just take my word for it. Of course, there are many valuable sources of information out there on Bilderberg, and much of it is available for free online. So, by all means, feel free to begin your own research if you are new to this. But for all of those who are wondering about the significance of Bilderberg and why we should care about this elite secret meeting that takes place behind closed doors every year, well, let me put it as succinctly as I possibly can. Let's meet just a few of the characters who have attended Bilderberg meetings in recent years. We're living through exceptionally difficult times. The financial crisis and its dramatic impact on employment and budgets, the climate crisis which threatens our very survival. A period of anxiety, uncertainty and lack of confidence. Yet these problems can be overcome by a joint effort in and between our countries. 2009 is also the first year of global governance with the establishment of the G20 in the middle of the financial crisis. So, uh, again, this is at the level of uh, global governance something which I trust is of its utmost importance. And I would say uh, that uh, we owe this transformation, which again has been prepared. It is something which, is, which didn't come as a, a sharp and, I would say, an expected event. So, in the wake of the crisis, that's probably my main message this morning which is that uh, a European integration has to be sped up, not slow it down, and that the lessons from this crisis must have consequences in the way the European Union, including for emerging European countries, the European Union is organized and uh, has its own institution able to uh, uh, tackle, to cope with difficult situations like the one we just uh, experienced. So we 
have to shape an international order that can meet the challenges of our generation. We will be steadfast in strengthening those old alliances that have served us so well, including those who will serve by your side in Afghanistan and around the globe. As influence extends to more countries and capitals, we also have to build new partnerships and shape stronger international standards and institutions. This engagement is not an end in itself. The international order we seek is one that can resolve the challenges of our times. Yes, every single one of those men have attended Bilderberg in recent years, including Herman Van Rompuy, the uh, new EU president, and uh, Jean-Claude Trichet, the president of the European Central Bank, and Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the head of the IMF, and the person commonly referred to as President Barack Obama, although he would best be known as Barry Sotero. And yes, all of them have attended, and if you want to find out about Obama's attendance of the 2008 Bilderberg, you should find out about his secret meeting with Hillary Clinton that took place there in the Bilderberg 2008 edition, which took place near Washington. And for those who are interested in exploring further about the predictions that have come out uh, from these Bilderberg conferences based on what was talked about at the meeting, you would definitely want to begin researching into the veteran authors and researchers who I have mentioned before, like Daniel Estulin and Jim Tucker, who have proved with their inside sources inside Bilderberg that they are able to talk about what is going to happen in the coming months and even years based on the knowledge that leaks out from Bilderberg. And, and when you begin your research, you will undoubtedly come across the writings of Daniel Estulin, who, as I mentioned, is a veteran Bilderberg researcher and a best-selling international author who wrote the book The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, which is definitely essential reading for anyone who is interested in this topic, and it is a best-selling book that has sold three and a half million copies around the world and is available in numerous languages, so it is highly worth getting and reading. And Daniel Estulin also has a brand new book. It's called Shadow Masters, and it also deals with the types of things that the Bilderberg operators and characters actually do. True Story of the Bilderberg Group is more about the group itself, its meeting, and how it operates. This is more about the types of operations that the Bilderberg characters actually run. So it's definitely a valuable addendum. And on that note, the appendix to the recently released Shadow Masters actually contains uh, images and uh, recreations of various documents that have leaked out from Bilderberg over the years that Estelin has managed to garner from his sources. So it is highly recommended that you do pick up this book, if only for the appendix itself, which is as fascinating as the book in total. But uh, to get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode, it was my great honor to speak once again to Daniel Estulin this year, not only about his brand new book, Shadow Masters, but also about the information that he's managed to gain from his sources inside Bilderberg about the Bilderberg 2010 agenda. That's right, Daniel Estulin has done it once again. He has gotten the actual leaked agenda for this year's meeting. So without further ado, let's take a listen to my recent conversation with Daniel Estulin about the Bilderberg 2010 agenda and what will be on the table behind closed doors for this year's Bilderberg meeting. 
So tell us uh, about uh, this year's Bilderberg Conference. Well, as always, I mean, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed in the Bilderberg of lately because it's, it's, uh, we have inter- infiltrated them so long time ago that now, uh, uh, you know, I, I would think that, you know, they would have taken certain precautions and measures, especially coming, you know, to, to my part of the, uh, of the world. But obviously, all they don't care or they simply become careless or too old or whatever the story is. But, you know, uh, a few days ago, I received from my sources a uh, Bilderberg meeting agenda items, which I very much like to share with your listeners. Please do. Okay, well, number one on the agenda is, uh, uh, will the euro survive, question mark. Needless to say, they're very concerned about the euro. It's interesting that Greece is not the issue. It's the euro survival an issue. And again, what they don't seem to understand, and what I have been pushing in Spain in, in numerous interviews I've been doing over the past uh, few weeks, uh, is uh, trying to convince the politicians and, and the people that you know the solution is for us Spaniards, and the Greek and, and the Portuguese and the Italians basically leave Europe because, again, it's not about, you know, keeping the euro as a currency. It's about being a nation-state republic. It's about working together, going back, you know, to being the fatherland of nations, the, the, the Charles de Gaulle concept, which has nothing to do with the Bilderbergers and the European Union are trying to put together a monetary union, which simply doesn't work. Number two is development in Europe, Europe's exit strategy, dot, 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 on hold, question mark. Now, a brief explanation. The markets are also starting to recognize that the monetary policy impact that the struggling Eurozone constituents will have on the European Central Bank's ability to reverse ultra-easy money conditions. Now, with aggressive austerity plans facing Greece, Spain, Portugal, and Ireland, a risk of a double-dip recession for the Eurozone rises dramatically, just as I accurately predicted immediately following Bilderberg 2009 in Greece, on your show, James, if you remember. I remember it very well, certainly, yes. Well, and here we go, you know, number three. Do we have the institutions to deal with the world economy? So needless to say, they are concerned whether, they, you know, they, they have enough uh, power internationally to deal with the you know, current crisis. Number four, Greece. Lessons and forward-looking strategies. Very interesting. It's not number one point on the agenda. It's number four. Number five, NATO and Afghanistan, the practical agenda for the alliance. Again, NATO and Afghanistan, there's only one thing in Afghanistan worth anything at all, that's drugs. And needless to say, the NATO alliance is there making sure that the drugs make their way safely into Wall Street because, again, the drugs are washed through Wall Street. That's a $700 billion a year cash business. If you eradicate drugs or if you legalize them, the entire world economy will collapse onto itself. So needless to say, a very interesting key point on the Bilderberger agenda. And again, interesting also to keep in mind but all the royal houses, of course, are represented at the Bilderberg conferences, and uh, the, uh, 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 the the British Crown has been into the drug trade, you know, going back to the British East India Company and China. So, needless to say, they are very familiar with drugs and uh, and making money from drugs. Number six, Iran and Russia, economic and financial threats to the alliance. Again, Iran is a diversion. The key element of the entire thing is Russia. The United States is building thirteen super-secret bases in Afghanistan, all of them bigger than the rest of the bases anywhere in the world. Again, Iran is a diversion. <clears throat> it's uh, Russia that they're after. If there's going to be a preemptive attack, Russia is obviously from the south. It's going to get hit very, very hard. And all of these 13 bases are going to, uh, are going to uh, uh, house a very important contingent of NATO uh, uh, soldiers. Number seven, the consequences of war against terrorism. Number eight, the influence of domestic issues 
on American foreign policy. Number nine, <clears throat> the outlook for Japan's economy. Very interesting, knowing that you live in Japan. I'll certainly get back to you, you know, with what they said about that. And number 10, <clears throat> the future of U.S. dollar alternative scenarios. And I got, you know, from our sources in Bilderberg, clarification on that issue. Bilderberg is basically, as I said on your show last year, is positioning itself to destroy the U.S. dollar. And according to my source in Bilderberg, who stated candidly that, and I quote, the Obama government may not be in the position to do anything about it. Now, again, as I said a long time ago, if the United States dollar plunged, the collapse of the fictitious mass of outstanding dollar-denominated internal credit brought about by either devaluation or a hyperinflation of what are nominally U.S. dollar-denominated obligations would in itself prompt the sudden collapse of the entire world physical economy into a generation-long global new dark age of our planet as a whole. Now, I'm just going to say it one more time. If ratified, the Bilderberg plan would result in the virtually certain destruction of the United States. We talked about this, you and I, when I was in Thailand, right, during the G20 meeting in November when they tried to pull that stock off, except that the Russians and the Chinese told them to, you know, pound sand. And, you know, this has been the treasonous intent of this Bilderberg group since its first meeting back in 94, in 1954. Again, it's, it's important to understand if listeners are wondering why the American delegates are not doing anything about it, is that they're part of the plan. They're treacherous, you know, and treasonous folks. They don't represent us, the people, and they certainly don't represent our governments. They work for a cabal known as the Bilderbergers, who also have, you know, very powerful interests above them. But basically, again, these secret private organizations, their idea is to destroy the world economy, and that's what we see right now. You know, the, the entire collapse, monetary systemic collapse witnessing right now, is part of a long-range plan, you know, to usher in this age of one world company limited. Absolutely right, and absolutely fascinating that uh, you've done it once again. You've uh, cracked the nut, and you've gotten the inside information. So thank you so much for sharing that again with uh, with my listeners. And um, uh, just uh, as we're wrapping up here, I, I'd like to to contemplate the possibility that the increased scrutiny of Bilderberg over recent years has actually uh, caused Bilderberg as a talking shop to to perhaps decrease in in importance, because we know that the Bilderberg Steering Committee has always been the more important core nucleus of the group, uh, where the real decisions are, are really made. And is, is it possible that now that it's coming in, in the light of scrutiny, uh, the shadow masters are just retreating to an even further level of secrecy that we're unable to penetrate? Well, you know, the, the steering committee has always been uh, a, a tough nut to crack. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, there's such a small group of, of, of insiders that I've never had uh, uh, any sources, obviously. I mean, we're talking about a, a group of six people. And, uh, but, you know, we have uh, had, you know, amazing success uh, with people who are very close to the steering committee. Uh, it's true what you're saying, that they're probably going to retreat even further to a cocoon. But it's also true that, you know, the meeting themselves, you know, to most people, especially attendees who don't understand that there's a, a very concrete structure behind these meetings, historical structures, who just, you know, come once and see a chance, you know, to talk to David Rockefeller or Rob Scholz or Henry Kissinger as an opportunity of, of, of a lifetime. So, the, you know, the real decisions, for example, you know, the drug trade in Afghanistan is not going to be discussed at an open meeting. It's going to be discussed behind closed doors by a much smaller group of people. And the real decisions are made, as you said, you know, the steering committee. And needless to say, you know, what's today called the Bilderberg Group, actually founded by, you know, the synarchist movement of empires, which is an, you know, Marxist esoteric, you know, cult. And, and, and the synarchists, uh, you know, the, the, they, they, you know, the Marxists, 
you know, the, the creative, you know, the, the pseudochism as a kind of a counterattack against the principles of which, upon which the United States as a nation was built. So, you know, it's, it's very, very possible that they're going to retreat even further. But again, they still, you know, need a, a substantial group of people, meaning 100, 120 people, to make some of these decisions, at least on a, you know, superficial level. So as long as they keep doing this, we'll, all have, we'll always have inside track to what they're talking about, unless they decide to meet underground, hopefully in hell, and then in which case, you know, we just may not get any access to what they're talking about. But up to now, we've certainly had no trouble whatsoever infiltrating them as a group. Well, that is excellent, and it is a sign that we, we are having such an effect now, and, and you are having such an effect on a personal level, so we are definitely looking forward to your speech before European Parliament next week, and, and uh, wish you all the best with that. So, again, I'll track it back. I'll, you know, I'll certainly report back to you on what, what was said and who said what to whom, and how these people feel about what we're doing. Daniel Estelin of DanielEstelin.com and once again, the author of the recently released Shadow Masters, available from Trine Day. So, certainly, that is some very interesting and very telling information, although perhaps it won't be particularly surprising to anyone who has been following the Bilderbergers and what they've been not only talking about, but really obsessing over since their inception, which, of course, is the creation of the international financial infrastructure for a global government, run for and by, of course, themselves and their cronies. So it should come as no surprise, for instance, that they're obsessing over the collapse of the European Union, although it's very doubtful that the European Union itself will actually collapse, but very likely that it will only actually lead to further integration, as we've heard Strauss-Kahn and uh, Trichet and others talking about at the beginning of today's episode. And uh, they're also talking about U.S. dollar alternatives, as in alternative world currencies. And, of course, we see the IMF's special drawing rights shaping up to be one of those candidates for an alternative to the U.S. dollar hegemony. And, again, this is something that it will not necessarily benefit you or me to have the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency any more than it will benefit us to have an SDR as the world reserve currency. But at least if the world reserve currency is a national currency, then we have at least that much to say for it. When it becomes an international currency administered by a completely non-democratic body to which you and I have absolutely no say, like the International Monetary Fund, well, then we step just one step further into the tyranny of totalitarian world government. Well, we have explored in voluminous detail in this podcast in the, in the past the significance of the, these plans and these steps towards global government. And of course, people are urged to check into episode 68 of this podcast, Meet Carol Quigley, to find out just exactly what the plan has been for many, many, many decades, in fact, generations and how they were going to institute this type of economic meltdown in order to bring about a financial architecture which would be the world government. Make no mistake, when they talk about international financial structures and regulations, and even talk now about the IMF actually gaining more control over individual banks in individual countries, that is global government. And if they like to use the word global governance, and if they like to use the term international order instead of new world order, make no mistake, it is the exact same thing. 
Well, the question, as always, becomes what can you or I, people who don't have the sources inside Bilderberg, who really have no say in these meetings or what will be covered or and no way to put our input into these meetings, how are we to react to this and what are we to do in order to have some effect in shaping the world order that is taking place around us? Well, in order to contemplate that, I had the pleasure earlier this month to talk to Charlie Skelton. He is an author that my listeners will be familiar with if they've listened to my previous interview with him. He covered the Bilderberg 2009 conference for the UK's Guardian, which is one of the largest newspapers in Europe, and was quite surprising to many at the time. Although at the beginning, it seemed like it was going to be a rather lighthearted play on the idea that Bilderberg is a conspiracy. And it turned out that the writer, in the process of going through all of the ordeals that he did merely to get to the site of the Bilderberg conference, came to realize that, oh, there really is something of great importance taking place here, and they really don't want people to go anywhere near it. So, in the course of that, he had a rather, I would say, life-changing experience, and I would highly suggest people go and reread the Bilderberg files from Bilderberg 2009 on the Guardian's website. But this year, uh, Charlie Skelton will be the, uh, covering Bilderberg 2010 once again for the Guardian. Now, to get to the point, Bilderberg 2010 will be taking place near Barcelona, Spain, from June 4th to 6th of 2010. And at the same time, there will be a counter-conference of sorts, a fringe festival, if you will, of people who are not part of the world power elite, people who simply don't like the idea of, the, of there being a world power elite, let alone those people meeting behind closed doors to decide how the world is going to play out over the course of the next year. So in that regard, they have set up this, this type of counter-cultural uh, festival, uh, a celebration, a witnessing of the Bilderberg event in order to bring the light of public scrutiny to this event. And that is an extremely important thing for us to do. And it's important to keep in mind that even a few years ago, very, very few people in the entire world had even heard the name Bilderberg. And now it is something about which masses of information are coming out. That is an incredible breakthrough, and it is because of the efforts of people who have gone to great length and at great risk to themselves to bring this information to us. So it's the least that we can do to try to form en masse a movement to bring attention, to bring more attention to this, so that they will stop denying the existence of Bilderberg, which we have seen them start to do in recent years, with appearances in, in Slate.com and, and passing mentions in, in major publications. But uh, we, we have to push this even further and get serious coverage of Bilderberg onto the front page of not just The Guardian, but every newspaper around the world. And there are signs that there is going to be much more coverage of this year's conference than years past. And the more people who actually attend, the more people we can get behind this movement to expose Bilderberg and get a people's voice in the way the world is run. So... On that note, I had the chance earlier this month to talk to Charlie Skelton, so let's hear from him about what this conference is really about and what he's planning to do for Bilderberg 2010. So, so what is the plan for Bilderberg 2010 and, and what's going on in uh, Spain? 
Well, you, uh, it's interesting you say that we'll be organising the Fringe Festival, and you know, part of what uh, what we were trying to do is, is have a little bit of a gathering there. We didn't really know what was going on, but it turned. We we found out the other day that um, I, I don't the Spanish, I suppose you call them, are organising a, a, a much larger set of events and the whole itinerary, a big agenda of uh, gatherings uh, beside the hotel. There's going to be meditations and parties and beach parties and, and discussion groups. And so we suddenly realized we weren't organizing this at all. We're just going to slot happily into a much larger event, you know. And uh, so, yes, I think we're going there. We're going to take some photographs. To, you know, I think the idea, someone mentioned to me the other day that, that, that um, the Quakers used to bear witness to wars by sort of standing on a hill and sort of looking at them and saying, well, you know, I, this terrible thing is going on and here I am bearing witness. And I think there's an element of that. So, uh, at a distance from any uh, from any uh, from any nastiness, I hope, and hopefully there really won't. I really hope there won't be. It all seems it all seems very positive, a positive feel to the whole thing at the moment. You know, sort of. I think it'll be more more people juggling and hooping on the beach and having discussion discussions in the evening about you know the direction our world is taking and that kind of thing. Um, hopefully, not all the discussions will be in Spanish so that I can take part. But um, yeah, I think it should be fun. Well, well, certainly it is a positive sign that uh, that there are already people who are organizing this type of thing. So, so what can you tell us about about who or or what group is organizing this this uh, fringe festival that you're going to be joining up with? Well, I know for, uh, from uh, looking at the um, uh, the agenda, I know that uh, there's an organization called uh, the Zeitgeist Movement uh, of Spain. I mean, a part presumably the part of the larger Zeitgeist. Uh, movement, which you've probably seen, you know, seen the, the movies and all of that kind of thing. But um, they're going to be doing what they call a photographic safari on uh, the first day of the festival, where I think they're going to see where they can take photographs of any um, uh, delegates arriving, see if they can get through the tinted windows and what have you. But um, so Zeitgeist are going to be doing something, and there's various, there's various other, other, I think, you know, the Spanish anarchists, which sounds fun, I think they'll be turning up in some numbers. Um, Hopefully, in not being too anarchic, but uh, um, so yeah, there's going to be uh, all sorts of different things, and we're going to be based at the. Um, if anyone wants to come along, we're going to be based at the um, El Garofa campsite, which is just a little campsite uh, at the foot of at the foot of the hill where the gated hotel, the Bilderberg Hotel, is it is, which is the Hotel Dolce Sidgas. Uh, but we're going to be at this El Garofa uh, campsite at the bottom, hopefully just. Sort of, Having some fun and, and having some Bilderbergers. I sort of set an agenda for myself last year in, in the last piece, in which I said we'd be there and we would have a Bilderbergers on a barbecue. So um, I've rather forced my own hand there. So we've, we've, we've just on eBay buying a barbecue as we speak. <laughs> well, half the people that you talk to about the Bilderbergers believe that it is some type of hamburger. So I guess that's a that's a fitting uh, <laughs> tribute. Well, uh, the, it, it is great to, to, to see that people are taking this initiative, and, and I certainly do hope that there isn't any of the, the shenanigans and things that you experienced last time, but it's one thing to hope that that's not the case and another thing for it to be the case, and we know that uh, there is a long history of uh, Bilderberg uh, uh, minions harassing people at the borders and, and really giving yeah. people a hard time when they try to enter the country even. So uh, so yeah. are, are, are you concerned about this? What do you think? Do you have any strategies? Strategies for this? Is there anything that uh, any advice that you'd like to give people who are thinking about going to Spain or anything on this uh, issue? Well, my one, uh, probably my main strategy is to 
is to be polite, be um, extremely courteous, and no matter what pressure is placed upon me at any time, and I, I, this goes for anyone turning up, is to be absolutely open and polite, even if you're being arrested. Um, because I remember, uh, so I was arrested so many times, it, it, it was a joke last year, I mean, it was a very bad joke, a nasty joke, but um, I remember one point, I just, I lost my temper once in a police station, and I, I, I used a curse word, and the moment I did, I'd given away my, every everything that I had, every sort of moral advantage. And they they became quite they became extremely aggressive at that point with me. And so I, I learned a lesson right there: is never never do anything raise raise my voice. So we're going to dress. I know this sounds it sounds slightly ridiculous, but we're going to dress smartly and be polite. And I think that's that's going to be my number one strategy: is just sort of be nice. Uh, and also be aware, I think, that the that the police, the local police in the area are going to be under the most enormous pressure. And I, I witnessed this pressure last time in, in, in Greece where you could tell that the the chief of police there had never seen anything like it. And he was just, he looked like a man at the end of his tether because you can imagine the amount the amount of pressure that's on, on, on him and on the local police generally. So, you know, I'm reasonably sympathetic towards them. Uh, because you know this is going to be the biggest day of their of their career in so many ways. Uh, you know, in terms of the job they have to perform, one biggest the biggest week. So um, yeah, I'm going to be sympathetic towards them, and hopefully they'll be sympathetic towards me. You know, fingers crossed. Once again, Charlie Skelton, whose writings will be available from the Guardian website. Now, Charlie Skelton and the the conference that he is attending is extremely exciting, and I will include a link in the documentation section for today's episode to the Facebook page about the the conference, the counter-conference that he is taking part in. And if you have time and resources, I would certainly encourage anyone listening or viewing this to attend, because, of course, numbers are important in this case, and the more people that we can get there, the less chance they'll have to be able to harass and intimidate every single person who is there. And that's something that we saw at Bilderberg 2008, where the people who were protesting outside the hotel near Washington were actually able to disrupt the conference itself simply by the incredible noise that they were making outside of that conference. That was an incredible thing to to witness and to behold, so I would suggest people go and take a look at that for an example of what the people can accomplish when they actually do go out there and become a physical presence to protest and show that they do not take part and do not want to, to give their power over to this elite, illustrious club. But on that note, there are, of course other ways in which we can manifest our protest towards what is taking place and these types of behind-closed-door meetings. And an excellent example of that came from this year's Trilateral Commission meeting in Dublin, Ireland. Now, the Trilateral Commission meeting is something akin to the Bilderberg, a high-level talking shop for power players, whereas Bilderberg is specifically about Europe and North America and the ties or lack thereof between those two power centers. Uh, The Trilateral Commission, as its name might imply, involves not just Europe and North America, but a third part, which is Japan. And so each year they meet, uh, usually three or four weeks before the Bilderberg Conference, 
and they have a, their own high-level talking shop about whatever is on the plate at the moment. And in Dublin, Ireland this year, apparently the Iran war is once again on the table and is being talked about as a serious possibility. So that's something that we will have to definitely be on the lookout for. But this year's Trilateral Commission meeting was a success of sorts for the people who were there making a commotion in Dublin about the meeting and the attendees. And for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, I would highly suggest that you take a look at the work of people like We Are Change Ireland and The Sovereign Independent, both groups having adequately confronted the people who were attending, including the Sith Lord himself, Darth Rockefeller, who of course was in attendance despite the fact that he's in his 90s now and is still actively travels the world attending all of these conferences and I'm sure would love to see the New World Order come into place before he shuffles off this mortal coil. But uh, on that note, the Sovereign Independent specifically had an incredible encounter with David Rockefeller himself, and the results are now available on YouTube. Unfortunately, they were shot with a cell phone camera, so it is not extremely uh, clear and not crisp and high definition, but it is there. And yes, the Sovereign Independent managed to confront David Rockefeller and place a copy of the Sovereign Independent newspaper on the table in front of him. Quite incredible and uh, must have been quite a moment to experience. So earlier this month, I also had the pleasure of talking to Neil Foster and Dave Derby of SovereignIndependent.com about their encounter with elite insider and Bilderberg uh, high-ranking member, David Rockefeller. Let's do it now. We're ready now. Let's do it. Mr. Rockefeller, you will never get your new world order. We're not your slaves. We are not your slaves. So uh, as, a, as, as a physical presence, what is this 93-year-old man like? Uh, an evil uh, <laughs> is that, uh, I don't know I don't know. I couldn't look at him because I was too busy bending over his shoulder making sure I didn't knock any of the silverware over the glasses or or even touch him because I didn't want to be charged with assault or damage the property or any of that stuff and Dave was looking straight at him so he's probably better to tell you um, it's hard to sort of describe because it's the first time I've actually looked at somebody like that and got the it was a sort of like the gaze that he gave me back. He, he, um, I mean, evil comes across. You feel a lot of evil there, even when he was walking past us. And he was only about maybe eighteen inches away from us when he was actually walking past us while we were sitting. And uh, when I saw him and I saw that face, you, you have that immediate sort of like feeling. You know, like where you sort of like feel this cold chill in the air. He seems to be able to create that sort of atmosphere, and that's what he was doing. Um, that's basically uh, my first impression of it. But then when I was looking at him at the table, it just, I could see coldness in his eyes. You know, it was like dead eyes. Um, I suppose that's the best way I can describe it. Like I say, it only happened yesterday. So, uh, again, a lot of it is all coming back to me now, you know, uh, in hindsight, you know, how I felt when I actually looked at him. But certainly it wasn't a, uh, a beneficial feeling in any way. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. I can imagine the uh, the the Darth Vader theme playing in the background as he walks by. <laughs> <laughs> you could actually cut a knife at the end of it, and that was the thing. You know, as we were walking away, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It, it was silent in the place, 
And as we were walking away, people like I say, people were moving aside for us, and we just had to, we just had to almost like a red carpet out of the building. You know, you can see this big entrance in front of us. You know, to the front of the hotel, it's quite a grand place, and we just walked side by side, just straight out of the main entrance and straight out onto the road. Right. And, and as we were, that, you could feel that you could feel the atmosphere. You could cut the atmosphere of a night. And, and at any point, what I was worried about was at any point we're going to be apprehended on our way out. Or someone's going to take my camera or something like that. But we got out miraculously. We got out. We even walked past the police and we got outside onto the street. So it was. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I don't know. It, it's, in a way, it felt like we were sort of like running the gauntlet because at any point someone could have stopped us. So it was a very uh, unique situation that I've been in that I've never really been in before. Mm. It's, uh, it's, one, it's one minute you'll never forget. One minute will never. Forget. <laughs> I guess not, but I absolutely. I, I think you handled it extremely well, especially that uh, you were concerned not to not to touch them or not to you know interfere with them in any way, just to do what you needed to do and get out. I think that's the best way to do it in that situation, especially when it's just the two of you. And it was just the two of you, right? Yeah, it was just the two of us in there at that time. I mean, it was all it was just chance because you know it was on the Sunday morning and the talks were all over by then, you know. But there was still the trilateralists all there. You know, a lot of them would have been there on Sunday. So, and we the you know, we decided to make our way back down and get some breakfast and that. We stayed in Dublin overnight and we went to get some breakfast and the place where we went the day before was closed. So at that point, like Neil said, at that point we said, well, why don't we go to the Four Seasons where the trilateral was being held just for, just for the crack, you know? So we went down and um, it, it all, everything just fell into place. And where we sat, you know, there was no special reason where we, uh, reason why we sat where we did. Uh, we just sat there and it just happened to be the place where Rockefeller walked straight past us. So what are the chances of that happening? You know, everything fell in place for us. It's almost divine. <laughs> Neil Foster and Dave Derby of The Sovereign Independent. It is extremely exciting to see groups like this, The Sovereign Independent and We Are Change and other such activist groups gaining notoriety and gaining in numbers and gaining in strength and gaining in effect as they go out there and confront the people who are presuming to run the world from behind the scenes and of course they're only ever able to affect that if they can do it behind closed doors and in secrecy because that is the only way in which these types of plans and schemes can come to fruition it could never happen if it was exposed to the light of public scrutiny and that's why these types of actions are so important and it really is important to remember that even a few years ago People like the Rockefellers and Brzezinski's and Kissinger's of this world moved around with relative impunity. And in years past, in many years ago, people were able to uh, walk right up to Bilderberg attendees and have conversations with them in the courtyard of the, the hotels where they were taking place. The very, very few people who actually knew about the existence of the Bilderberg group at that time, people like Tony Gosling. And these people were actually able to walk up and talk to attendees like the Rockefellers and Kissingers and their equivalents. But of course, that's, uh, they've had to retreat even further into secrecy and behind closed doors in order to avoid that public scrutiny. And they will have to continue trying to retreat further and further behind closed doors as more and more people wake up to this and begin to not only recognize these people when they see them, but also to actively verbalize their uh, absolute disgust with what is taking shape and to simply tell them that the new world order will not stand. It is so important for people to become involved in that and to help, of course, continue waking others up to this information. 
So definitely my hat's off to everyone who is involved in that and who is in the arena taking a stand against this type of rule by secrecy. So Bilderberg 2010 is right around the corner, and of course everyone should have their eyes on this year's conference for any information that is coming out about what is discussed there, because undoubtedly this will be the marching orders which the Bilderberg attendees will be receiving to then disseminate throughout the year in their various organizations and their lower level, international level roundtables like the, the Council on Foreign Relations. And of course, each step further down the ladder uh, this information goes, the, the less, less people are actively and consciously working towards the designs of the Bilderberg uh, inner circle. But of course, they are nonetheless controlled by what decisions are made there. And uh, as discussed with Daniel Estulin in my interview, which of course is available for download from corporatereport.com, the fact that Bilderberg is being more and more exposed probably means that the core nucleus of Bilderberg will be retreating further and further behind closed doors, even within Bilderberg itself. And of course, the Bilderberg Steering Committee is really the place where the real behind closed doors discussions happen. The larger Bilderberg uh, meeting, which usually contains 150 to 200 people, is more of a talking shop at which uh, things are, are discussed, but really the decisions themselves are, are made with the core nucleus of the group. So it's important to keep in mind that the, the larger talking shop is less important than what is really taking place behind closed doors. But as always, not only the Corbett Report, but of course many others will be trying our best to keep you informed about what is happening at this year's conference as we stand on a knife edge on so many levels, on so many issues, with so many fronts happening in this war against tyranny. Some, some of these theaters of operation threatening to become very real wars that really will affect human lives. And of course, now we see the talk of war ramping up between North and South Korea. We see the Iran war rhetoric hyping up once again. And we see the collapse of the European economy very much on the table and a very real possibility that will be being talked about this year. So once again, it is extremely important that we understand what is happening right now so that we can best understand how to confront it and how to oppose it. So on that note, please stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for continuing coverage of Bilderberg 2010 over the coming weeks. And we do plan to talk once again to Daniel Estulin as he, uh, a wrap-up to this year's conference where he will discuss what was discussed, which he will of course get from his sources inside Bilderberg. So please stay tuned for more information about Bilderberg 2010. And as always, please continue doing this research for yourself to help inform yourself about what is really going on and then get others informed. That's all for today. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me for this 131st episode of The Corbett Report and asking you to join me again next week for episode 132, Meet the Southern Poverty Law Center. Gonna take his riches back from him He'll come in the night